All right, friends, let's settle back in to tables. Happy New Year. I, I got to say, I do prefer all the life that those little ones were just bubbling up in the midst of us. And one of my favorite things about being a part of this family is how integrated our kids are in our following Jesus and their following Jesus in every way. In our homes every single week, we get to learn how do we follow Jesus in all of life. It's one thing to come to a gathering and everyone's smiling and the music is just right, but we follow Jesus in real life and we follow Jesus in all of life and we follow Jesus in family. And that's really what is in the core of our heart forever, but it is what we are going to be focusing on this entire year in a really concentrated way. So as I said, our team wrote that simple liturgy that you can pray in 90 seconds as a pattern of discipleship that we are going to unfold together over 40 weeks. And you could take a lot longer than that. That's a cursory look at kind of going through that. But we're going to go slow and be patient. And we want to learn how do we live in the kingdom of God with Jesus as our king. And the passage is rooted in the Great Commission. Uh, I will say, if you see unregistered up here, it's because I think the new presentation wasn't registered. And so you just, just, it was, but it's not reading it. So just, just pass like it's not there. You're, I, I see like every slide I'm going to have today, it'll be like the, the beauty of the Great Commission. And then it'll just say unregistered. I'm sure someone's prophetic enough to come up with something of, of the meaning of that in the room, but it's fantastic. Um, so the Great Commission... I'm going to read the Great Commission, and I want to start with a prayerful exercise around this. And I find it sometimes helpful to bring things down to one word. I'm going to read the Great Commission, and as I read it, we're going to sit for just 30 seconds, and the question we're asking that we're going to share at our table, and it's not going to go into why I feel this word or what this word represented to me when I was younger, just sharing around the table one word. When the Great Commission is read, what is the one word that comes out of your mind or out of your heart as you hear it? What do you feel? What is one word? And so if you want, if it helps, you can close your eyes. We're going to just sit for 30 seconds as I read this. And then we're going to come out of that and share around our tables just that one word. Just go in a circle, right around. Don't wait for the first, first person to start and just go around the circle. Okay? Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just 30 seconds of silence. What is the one word that rises for you when you hear that. And I'll release us in just a second to share. Okay. I'm curious. Call out a few of the words in the room just quickly. Hope. Obedience. Love. What was that? Teaching. Go. Behold. Behold. Establish. Establish. Try. Try. Oh, nice. Always. With. With. Doubting. Doubting. Yeah. Authority. Authority. Yes. Say it again, Andrew. Corrupted. Corrupted. Wow. It's curious. I, I want to be, I want to enter your meditation. Um, I think there's lots of words that could come up. Um, 
Some of us, when the Great Commission is read, feel this adventure, this joy. I know people in this room that this passage has changed the entire trajectory of their vocation in life and where they've lived. Some of us, and, and I didn't hear many feeling words. I heard some. Some I heard just lectio reflections on the passage, which is beautiful. But I would imagine when the Great Commission is read, some of us actually may feel, and I've talked to some in this room, that actually feel pressure. Um, there's some that feel nothing. It, it's kind of tired or feels a bit irrelevant to your actual life. And there's all kinds of reasons and, and, and kind of uh, impetus behind what we feel and life experience when this is read. But I'm, a, I'm aware of the familiarity, somewhat of the tiredness of it. I myself in facing it feel different emotions from growing up around the church. And... I've been thinking about just each word in the sentence and so many of these words I think we struggle with. I'll just read a few of them. Authority. Now I heard someone loved that one. I know a lot of people, that's not the easiest word. Authority. Disciple or discipline. Who has warm fuzzies? Obey. Command. I'm going to say a really loaded word. Father. Almost every word in the sentence can be profoundly challenging, could be painful, could actually even be triggering, just depending on how you've experienced these things in your family or in the church or in any situation where these have come up. I'm thinking of the end of the sentence. I really like this one. I am with you. But this one can even be really challenging for those who have been let down in their close relationships. Someone has promised to be there and then not been there. And I want to become aware that we are capable of filling this great commission with all kind of baggage that we then project upon the loving and wise king who gave it, named Jesus. And whatever you may be feeling from excitement, this is my vocation, this changed my life, I feel love, I love that that happened. I do want to honor Marcus and Sue Rackley who are in the room, yes, who have loved our city so well. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being elders in our city to heal our city. And I love that love comes out of that. He's experiencing love. Thank God. Let me be like Marcus Rackley when I grow, right? So something's happened where he hears these same words and love as a response. But whatever we may be feeling, I want us to come this morning. And if we could just open our hands wherever we are and say, Holy Spirit, would you bring fresh revelation of the intention and heart of the King? when we think about the Great Commission. We welcome you today, yeah? And we welcome you all year to take us into the beauty of what this is all about. What is the Great Commission all about? Well, number one, Jesus never called it great, and he never used the word commission. Okay, so we're off to a good start. Both are accurate, what is going on in the Great Commission? He is sharing his very heart and dream for the world. Jesus is sharing his heart and his intention and his dream for the world. It's a dream that goes all the way back to the garden. It was shared there in an iteration when humanity was asked to steward and rule with God in creation that all of creation would be filled with the image of God. It was a dream that was rearticulated in the covenant of Abraham when God shared his dream and covenant and said, I desire that all the families on the earth would be blessed. And Jesus is now 
beautifully picking this up. It can rightly be called great, and the reason it can be called great is because of the one who's giving it. And it can be called a mission, but what is the mission? I hope that when you hear the word mission, it is not filled with evangelical pressure. We want to release the word mission into the heart and dream of God. And I believe Jesus is sharing a mission, but what is the mission? At the heart of the Great Commission is Jesus' heart. And Jesus' heart is the renewal of the whole earth through the formation of all of its peoples. It is the renewal of the whole earth through the formation of its peoples. In other words, the Great Commission is about mission, but the mission is the formation of every human being being filled with the glory of God until every single family is brimming with blessing. Is it not gorgeous and beautiful? And we're thinking about the Great Commission, I think we need to start by remembering who Jesus is talking to. And I love that someone called out the word doubting. <laughs> Josh did, one of our elders. Okay, you're making me feel better. He's talking to his closest friends. That's who he's talking to. But who are they? They're doubting. They're disappointed. They're beat up by what they've experienced in life. They're bewildered. They're ordinary people. He asked them to meet him on a mountainside outside in Galilee. And the ones who show up are doubting, disappointed, beat up, bewildered. And every one of these words brings me such comfort. I'm thankful that the original Great Commission came to people just like me and just like you. People who have had a hard go in life, people whose hearts have been broken, who have been discouraged, disappointed, beat up. They don't know what's going on. It says they saw him, they worshiped, and then they were filled with doubt. That describes my life so beautifully. <laughs> oh yeah, Jesus, that's who you are. I love you. I don't know. I don't know if I trust you there. That's just how I roll. That's how I've walked through these last 25 years of following Jesus, and I'm so comforted. I had an amazing thing happen to me. I'm one of the millions who signed up for a gym membership going into January. I am one. And I pulled up, and there were so many people on the app. It shows you how many are there, Planet Fitness. There were so many people. I pulled up. Every machine in the place was filled. And I sat there, and I ate potato chips, and I looked in the window. And I was like, am I going to go in there? It's just so crowded. And I laid down the bag in the name of Jesus, and I, I rose into the cold. And I, I walked into that gym for the very first time, and... I checked in and it was, I made it onto one of those sweaty machines. Everybody's everywhere. And I'm just thinking about viruses and all kinds of things. And, and I go through an hour and guess what? I actually enjoyed myself. It was wonderful. I just, I didn't know what I was doing. I was wandering around. Oh, that looks fun. Let's do that. That's the way you got to get back into exercise. Like just pick and choose what looks sort of fun. I'm not going to start with some discipline routine. So I was having a blast. I'm an hour in. And I'm wiping one of my sweaty machines down at the hour. And I'm feeling quite good about myself. I did it the first day, you know. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up to me and he says, Adam? And I'm looking at him and I'm like, and I remember, this is over a decade ago. I remember this guy's face. And he was kind of blown away that I remembered him. And he looked quite different. He had actually been to the gym for those 10 years. <laughs> it was incredible. And, and I'm looking at the guy and he just says, I thought of you this week. Man, this is so powerful. He's like, Adam, I need God. First, out of the gate. I need God. I need God. I need God. And I thought of you because you loved me way back then, over 10 years ago. And I thought of you. He's like, how are you here? I'm like, it's my first time ever. <laughs> He's like, I never come twice in a day. And he came back. For the second time of the day, he's like, I don't even know why I'm here. And I'm like, and he just embraces me and he keeps saying, I need God. It's incredible. 
Who is the Great Commission for? This is not a theory. This, this guy, it blew my mind. This is for people who need God. We're not talking about a theory. And he's already texted me and said, I want to learn to follow God with you again. I'm like, you have no idea what I'm meditating on all week. This is blowing my mind. And if I told you the story of all the intricacies and where this guy grew up in the city and the disappointment I walked when he walked away from the Lord all the way back then, and then here I am, and we doubt and we wonder and we worship, and there's Jesus. But real people in this city are in gyms and they're crying out and they're going, I need God. Who's going to help me follow God? That's the point of this. Now we got to remember who's speaking. These are not words on some dry page, right? These are not just words on a page called the Great Commission. If you will humor me and imagine a guy that you watched beaten and bloodied and hung on a Roman cross till his last breath was out of his body, unrecognizable and disfigured. And you watched as your own heart was being crushed. And this man walks up to you with scars on his wrists, sighed, and he's got words to say to you. The Great Commission is coming out of a man raised from the dead. Can we receive it in a whole new manner? I'm thinking what it would be like to receive these words, not out of Matthew 28 in my Bible, which I'm so thankful that it's recorded and written there, but to receive them from the mouth and heart of a resurrected man who's standing there saying, I am the new creation as it begins. I am what it looks like for a broken, battered human to be restored and renewed. And as I am, everything will be. That's it. He's the embodiment of the great commission, the flourishing of the whole earth. And then he opens his mouth. And you can follow along in your liturgy if you want. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What on earth does this mean? I'm serious. I've been thinking about it, and the more I think about it, the less I feel like I know what it means. What if just for the next year, every time you hit some circumstance, you're just brought into your mind, the guy that I'm with, that I follow, has all authority in the heavens and on the earth. What a meditation. I'm looking forward to meditating on this throughout an entire year. All authority in heaven and on earth. In three words, it means this. Jesus is Lord. Can everyone say that together? Jesus is Lord. Those three words are the gospel in the simplest form. But what does that mean? All authority in heaven and on earth? I tried to do some digging. I'm going to bring you a little Greek. I'm telling you, it didn't do me a ton of good because I was mystified by this. Authority in the Greek means the right to rule, command, or govern. The actual word literally means, listen to this, that which arises out of your being. Authority. That which arises out of your being. You have no authority unless it's been formed into your being. That's wild. He has all authority in heaven and on earth because he has the right to rule because the virtue of the state of his being and condition is the one who is the victor over sin and death and the grave, and exuding from his being is the right to rule and government. And the increase of his government, there will be no end. Now you're looking into the eyeballs of the most loving human being you've ever met, and he's looking back at you, and he's speaking, and he's opening his mouth to your bewildered, doubting soul, and he's saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The world just seems different after you look in those eyes and hear those words. I want to do that all year. I want to look in those eyes 
and I want to hear those words. Not just to liturgy, not just read it on a page. I want to encounter the resurrected Jesus. Now, honestly, what a marvel. Who can understand? We see in his earthly life and ministry incredible authority. Authority over sickness, over demons, over weather, over the laws of physics, over creation. We hear them saying, no one ever spoke like this man. He speaks with such authority. We see authority in his life, but now he's saying all authority. It's been handed from the Father, the uncreated infinite God, to the Son, The Son in his humanity, having died and risen from the grave, has all authority in heaven and on earth. There's some New Testament scriptures that help us a little, but I still can't get my head around them. Stuff like Colossians 2. Christ is the head over all rule and authority. Colossians 1.17. For by him all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things are created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and he's literally holding all things together by the word of his power. If he ceases to speak, the molecules of the universe cease to be together. Your body and all of created reality is being held. That's authority. That's, that's, I have no idea what that means. Ephesians 1.21. Some things in scripture, you just, you don't come to them and go, I understand. You come to them and you go, ah, I just, what does this mean? If anything, let the wonder of God return to your soul. There's a living man saying he's holding all things, molecules, together in the universe. He's like, geez. And then Ephesians 1, this just, let's seal it off. He's raised from the dead, seated at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every other word you could probably think of and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but guess what? In the age to come. We may not fully comprehend what all authority in heaven and on earth means. I certainly do not. But at very least, we should listen to what this resurrected man is about to say about what is best for planet earth and what is best for human flourishing. Can we agree on that? I love Dallas Willard. This is a great quote from Divine Conspiracy. It's really long, but follow along. I think it's worth it. It's like half of my notes. Here we go. Ready? I love to quote people much smarter than me. Our commitment to Jesus can stand on no other foundation than a recognition that he is the one who knows the truth about our lives and our universe. It is not possible to trust Jesus or anyone else in matters where we don't believe them to be competent. Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all, the smartest person who ever lived? That is exactly how his earliest apprentices in kingdom living thought of him. The biblical continuing vision of Jesus was one of one who made all created reality and kept it working, literally holding it together. And today we think people are smart who make light bulbs and computer chips and rockets of stuff. He made stuff that stuff is made out of. I like that. Small wonder then that the first Christians thought he held within himself all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is not just nice, he's brilliant. He's the smartest man who ever lived. He's now supervising the entire course of world history while simultaneously preparing the rest of the universe for our future role in it. Man, he always has the best information on everything and certainly also on things that matter most to human life. Jesus is a genius. And there is no one who knows what a human being needs to flourish like Jesus. Inside of our humanity, with all wisdom and knowledge, he knows what it will look like, and he's about to instruct us in what it'll look like for everything and everyone to flourish. 
Now we can get wisdom from all manner of life and study, but there is one who knows everything about everything and his name is Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Now Jesus has established his authority and he's unfolded his dream, but we wanna look at his purpose and plan for the renewal of the world. What is the purpose and what is the plan? Okay, when you look at the Great Commission, and I hope we're ready to listen to these words a little differently, but unfold them over the year. If he has authority, what he's about to say is super important and should be heated. And it's probably not dry or boring. It's alive with potential to change the earth. And so he's going to use four verbs, four main verbs. And when reading Jesus's words in English, it looks like all four verbs are of the same importance. But in the Greek language that Matthew's gospel is written in, there's one verb, everyone say one verb, which is the main purpose. And then there's three verbs which support the one main purpose. So it's not four equal verbs, it's one main purpose and three verbs that are the how this main verb will happen. When we read it, it looks just all the same. The four verbs are this, and you know them. Go, make, baptize, and teach. Go, make, baptize, and teach. What is if you were to say the one main verb of the four. Make, you're right, make disciples. It doesn't come in order. Go, make, baptize, and teach. The one verb which comes forward as the main purpose in the heart of God for the planet is make disciples. Make disciples. And the other three verbs are how the plan, the three-part plan for how the one will happen. You will have to go, you'll have to baptize, and you'll have to teach. So this is a beautiful unfolding. We're called to go with the gospel and release the gift. We're called to baptize in a new life and a new identity. And we're called to teach people how to actually live in the kingdom of God as Jesus taught us. That is Jesus's plan for his one purpose, which is the formation of all the earth. If you turn your page over, look at your picture. Ooh, some have already started. Look, look at your Jesus house. This one picture is a simple picture, but it contains within it all of those verbs in the Great Commission. And it contains within it the Jesus pathway in one childlike picture that we're going to unfold over 40 weeks. I love that it's visual because we are visual learners. I love that it's childlike because if we can make something as simple as a child like Jesus, then we might be able to understand it and we might be able to pass it on to those in our city saying, I need God. This isn't just about helping us. This is about helping us to help anyone in the city who wants to follow Jesus. And so we want this to be visual. We want it to be engaging and interactive in that way. And so within this picture, you look at the foundation and you have in the foundation the go with the gospel and the gift. Jesus is the foundation. Go. The next part is you look at the roof, and in the roof is how we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then just like a house, inside the house is where we actually live. This is how you teach. You teach people how to actually live the way Jesus lived. And so we go with the gospel, we baptize into a new identity and a new life, and we teach them how to live. Now, we aren't smart enough to come up with this metaphor. Jesus came up with this metaphor. At the end of his greatest teaching, I would say the Sermon on the Mount, he used the metaphor of a house. And he said these words about the house. 
This is in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. He says, everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus uses the house as a metaphor of the life of a disciple who's not only hearing, we love to, we love to hear and be inspired by words, but he says, you will not be a wise builder. Your house will not be solid if you just hear. If you hear and then put into practice in your actual life, then your life will be the life that is built upon Jesus. And when life comes and beats against it with winds and waves rising, rain falling, your house will stand because it is built upon the practice life of Jesus. So this is the metaphor of the house. The book of Acts takes these four verbs on, and the entire book of Acts is the unfolding of the Great Commission. So what do we see them doing? How are they making disciples? It's, it's really beautiful. They go out with the gospel, and they, they absolutely enthrall people with the beauty of God. And we're going to look at what the gospel is. And then those who respond receive the grace of God, and they baptize them and their households in a new life and new identity. And then they teach them how to live in the actual kingdom way of Jesus by teaching them the commands of Jesus. This is the entire story of Acts simplified, following the way of Jesus. The apostles then write letters to those churches. And guess what? Every letter follows the same procedure. The letters start with what? The gospel. They unfold the three great questions that we were born for. The gospel, who is God and what has he done? And then they begin to say, if we enter into who God is and what he's done, we are baptized into a new identity. And they begin to explain, this is what it looks like to have a new identity because of who God is. They baptize them into a new life and identity. And then the rest of the letter is spent teaching them how to live their actual real life in light of the gospel and their new identity. So every letter follows the genius of the Great Commission. Go, baptize, teach. Isn't that incredible? Why? Because the apostles actually believed Jesus was the most brilliant one who ever lived. They actually believed that the whole earth would be renewed as people were actually formed in the image of Jesus. If they followed this way of making disciples through going with the gospel, baptizing them in new identity, and teaching them to obey everything that is commanded. I love it. We're not talking about empty words. We're talking about aligning ourselves with the authority of a resurrected man for the renewal of the earth. We're talking about something that will actually help those who are in your life who are saying, I need God. I need God. And this isn't some empty theory. We're talking about something that has been transforming the planet for 2,000 years. And as we speak, there's over a billion on the earth right now who have been changed because a resurrected man sent out a few doubting, disappointed people, and they actually went going, baptizing, and teaching in the name of Jesus. It's okay. It's all right. I want to start with the main verb, making disciples. We're going to walk through these together. So making disciples, what is a disciple? When Jesus dreams of the earth, he dreams of people being utterly transformed. When Jesus says, I will build my church, he does not mean lots of church buildings filled with consumer Christians. When Jesus says, I will build my church, he means the whole earth filled with deeply transformed disciples who are following Jesus together as the church, a church that is multiplying. 
He is not dreaming of buildings. He is dreaming of great and glorious followers of Jesus in all of life. What is a disciple? We say it like this. You can look at the liturgy. Someone who is following and being formed by Jesus in all of life. Where did we get this language? When Jesus went to his first disciples, he looked at them. They were bewildered. They were amazed. Some of them, they just got the biggest catch of their life. And he goes, hey, follow me. Right? What does it mean to be a disciple? To follow Jesus. Not to go to church. Not to come and consume inspiring messages. It means, firstly, to follow, which means to be with Jesus. Everyone say, be with Jesus. That's the king's plan. To get every human being into his presence to actually be with Jesus in your real life. And then he says this amazing word. When you follow me, I will what? Make you. The word make is beautiful. Disciples are not accidents. Disciples are made intentionally. And so the word for make, which is used when he first calls his disciples, he uses again in the Great Commission. That is where we get the word formed. When you make something, you are forming it. And to form it means you are becoming like that one. Follow, be with, formed, be like. A disciple is someone who is following and being formed by Jesus in all of life. And you must do both of those. And you must do the first one to get the second. You cannot be formed and become like Jesus unless you are learning to be with Jesus and following him in your life. And so what is a disciple? Someone who is following and being formed by Jesus in all of life. If you want to know Nava, we have, in a nutshell, we have aligned ourselves with the simplicity of that. Our entire calendar year is built around that. Every one of our home churches is built around that. That every person can learn to follow Jesus and be formed by Jesus in all of life. Why is that the center of our heart? Because we believe it is the center of the resurrected heart of Jesus. Now, in order, wow, in order to make disciples, we have to go. Why do we go? Why do we go? Because God came to us in Jesus. That is the reason we go. I remember being in high school and being like, I'm done with all this rejection. They can just do whatever they want. I'm done trying to bring Jesus to people. Every time I did it, it didn't work. I'm like, I'm done. And I felt like the Lord was like, okay, yeah, I hear you. you you're going to be fine. And I was like, yeah, I'll be fine. Like, I'm fine. I'm going to heaven. I'm, I know you. I get to walk with you. And he's like, yeah, I was fine in heaven. I was doing just great with the Father and the Spirit. But then I left heaven and I went and I came to you. And so the call is to go to others because why? There is one who left comfort. There is one who left the cozy place of Trinity life and came into the war zone of our suffering. And we are the benefactors of that going, right? We go because one went to us. Where do we go? We go to all the peoples. It says nations, ethnic peoples. We are not called to sameness. We are called to cross cultural boundaries with the love of God. We are called to make ourselves uncomfortable and enter into the stories and pains of other people. Amen? We are going to all the ethnos. And we want to see and be a church in Kansas City that reflects the heart of God for all the peoples. I hear people say, why are you so about racial reconciliation? It's not in the gospel. You haven't read the Great Commission. <laughs> Ethnic reconciliation is at the heart of the Great Commission. Go make disciples of every ethnic people right away. I think I just spit on my daughter. I am so sorry for that. I will pay you back later with Chick-fil-A or something good. Close on Sundays. Close on Sundays. Kanye knew. Kanye knew. Anyways. 
Lord, we pray for Kanye. Father, would you meet him? Seriously, a mental illness. Lord, would you meet that man? Okay, I digress. We go with the gospel to all the peoples. Oh, to see people encounter the unfailing love of God. When is the last time that you saw someone's heart and eyes open to Jesus for the first time? It is like a baby being born. It is wonderful and glorious. Oh, that everyone has a chance to meet the unfailing love of God in Jesus. Now, we go with the gospel. What is the gospel? God has always loved us and gave his son Jesus. Just that line. He lived the life we could not live. He died the death we should have died for sin. God raised and seated him as Lord. And this, everyone smile. He is coming again to restore all things. Friends, maybe you go, it's on your hand. It's simple. It's stupid. Like, I get it. I've been searching out the gospel for 25 years, the first thing God said is I was called to preach the gospel. And I was like, I don't care about that gospel, whatever that is. And then God started bringing me into the God story. The entire narrative of the unfolding of who God is, progressively, vulnerably unfolding himself until he's naked and bleeding on a cross saying, here is my covenant love. Now you know what God is. I get it. Like, Four glorious accounts of the gospel written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Like you can unfold this forever. Every one of these statements is an endless enthralling meditation. And we are called to go immerse people. They enthrall their being with who God is and what God has done. But Jesus also preached the gospel simply. Do you remember? He said, the son of man will suffer die, be buried, and three days later raised. Do you ever think of Jesus preaching his own gospel simply? He preached it on his hand, maybe. I don't know. What about the apostles? Yeah, they could endlessly meditate on any part of the gospel, but they knew how to preach and proclaim the gospel simply. And we want to teach everyone to know who God is and what God has done simply. Now, the scripture says powerfully that when we believe the gospel, we receive the gift. We believe the gift. We receive the gift. So I love this in Ephesians. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We got this language from the epistles. What we receive in the revelation of Jesus bringing new life into our being is we receive grace that we could never earn. And so we say this gift, we have been forgiven and freed and filled with the Holy Spirit, found in a father and formed in a family, and this gift is forever, right? And every one of these you will never get to the end of. But I want to sit for just a moment and around your tables, if we can just think, what is in this gift, this beautiful gift? I want you to look at those five things and say, what in this gift am I being welcomed to unpack in the next year? It is freely given to you and the spirit is inviting you into the depth of it. And this time I don't want you to share with your whole table, just one person next to you. Take about 30 seconds and say, what what aspect of the gift am I longing and desiring to unfold in the next year with the Holy Spirit? And then in 30 seconds, just share with one of your neighbors. I just want to pray for you guys as you've shared with each other. Father, I ask that through the Holy Spirit, you would unfold what you've just shown to each one part of the gift. I pray that you would unpack and unfold the treasure of the grace of God over the course of this year. We make disciples by going, and no disciple can be made unless they are 
enthralled with who God is and what he's done and the gift received. But the next part of this is to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I'm not going to teach as in-depth as I was because I've basically ran out of time in the next couple sections here. But I want to say this about baptize. It means, yes, to lower people into the water, to die with to our old life, and then to be raised anew to a new life in God. We do that literally in water. And it is a pattern that we are called to do every day from then. Every morning when you wake up, we are living out our baptism. We are denying ourselves, we are taking up our cross, and we are following Jesus. But the baptism has a deeper dimension to it. It says, baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And we see this dimension in Jesus. When he's baptized in water, he comes out and the Father opens the heavens. And what does the Father do? He says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. To baptize doesn't just mean a new life. It means a new identity. It means all of the old slavery to performance and earning, all the old orphan ways of, of being rejected and alone, all of putting our significance and our being into success and accomplishment. It means it's all being uprooted and we are being immersed in our being into the belonging of a trinity. We are being baptized in beloved. So what is our identity? We are the beloved sons and daughters of God. And when you come out of the water, you are being welcomed into the family of God publicly because no disciple can do it alone. You're baptized into beloved, but you're also baptized into the belonging of the church, which is a prayerful family on mission. Now, the next part of discipleship is really profound. It is teaching them how to live their actual lives in Jesus. But I have to say this. You begin teaching someone by teaching them first to be in love. Because attachment to the Father is the new motivation for every aspect of our obedience. In fact, Jesus says this. He says, if you love me, you'll obey. What is he saying? Love is the fountainhead of all obedience. Love is the motivation of all obedience. If you are baptized in a new identity and belovedness, you will long to live your everyday life like your king, Jesus. And the greatest command is no surprise. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because love is the baptism that we must go bring to people. If you try to make disciples and you do not baptize them into a new belonging and belovedness, it will be all legalism from then on out. And every motivation of your heart will be off. Let us teach them out of belovedness. And then it's not arbitrary what we teach. Jesus said, I want you to teach them everything I've commanded. Now there are literally hundreds of commands in the New Testament, but we have looked at the first church and 10 key commands come out of Acts 2. And if you read Acts 2, 42 through 47, you'll see these, repent, believe, and then they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Then they're devoting themselves to prayer and the family fellowship. They're giving and meeting needs. They're taking the Lord's Supper. They're worshiping with glad and sincere hearts. So those 10 are not random. They are the very formation of the early church. And we believe that every one of those commands, as you begin to live it, is a treasure chest that's infinitely unfolded. I mean, God met me in the new year and he said, Adam, I want you to hear and obey the word, Mark 9, 23. And I had just written in my journal, God, I want a nothing is impossible faith for my wife who's in constant pain and for my own anxiety. And he speaks, Mark 9, 23, I have no idea what it is. I open it up, it's red letters and it says, if I can, every, anything is possible for the one who believes. And I just got on my knees and worshiped the Lord. See, these commands, they keep unfolding to hear and obey. How long can you explore prayer? 
It's as infinite as God is infinite. What about giving? Give like Jesus, your entire being. It may be simple. We'll learn these body prayers. Why do we, why do, we do them with hand motions, you know? Repent, believe, baptize in water and in the Holy Spirit. It seems really childlike, but the Psalms teach us to pray and remember with our body. And it's a way to pass them on. So throughout the year, we're gonna be unfolding the gospel, the gift, the baptism into a new identity and the teachings of Jesus to live our real lives in the kingdom of God. My favorite part of this is at the end. In case you think he's a harsh king who puts a heavy burden on you, Jesus says these incredible words. And if you can see him and look in his eyes, this changes everything. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age. You cannot go and bring the gospel without the presence of Jesus. You cannot baptize into a new identity without the presence of Jesus. You cannot teach and form people in their real lives without the presence of Jesus. You have not been left alone. The greatest promise of the presence of God in all of history is given to those who set their beings to be and make disciples of Jesus. And he says, I am with you always to the very ends of the age. At the center of each table are the elements which represent the presence of of Jesus. Great. There's gluten-free in the front if you need that. Every single table has at the center the reminder of the presence of Jesus. A Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, but who does not use his authority to lord it over, but to serve and be with. A Jesus who is Lord who gave his life to brokenness of body and pouring out of his own blood for the forgiveness of sins. A Lord who says, I am with you to the end of the age. This is the Jesus. So I would ask that you would pour, one person at your table would pour, representing the blood of Jesus, poured out for the forgiveness of your sins, pass out, the bread and serve one another saying, this is Christ's body broken for you. And before we take, just sit for a moment with that and just holding the elements before you. I want us to pray. As we hold these elements, We receive now. And let's just say, I receive all authority in heaven and on earth through Jesus. Enthrall my mind again with the gospel. I receive the gift of unearned grace. Baptize me in my belovedness and teach me to live a new life every day in every way. Teach me. I want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to be formed into your image. Let's receive the elements now, giving thanks to God. And just in the quietness of your heart, can you spend just a few moments just committing your yes to Jesus to be and make disciples in the authority and presence of Jesus? I want to invite our oversight team to come up as well. We get to take a long, slow journey through the gospel, baptizing identity, and following Christ in our actual lives.
and the authority and presence of Jesus is with us. And there are people waiting in our city who have never, ever had someone help them follow Jesus. What an unfolding adventure and story lies before us as a church. What is this going to mean? I just felt with the gift of having our oversight here that in the, in the spirit of what Jesus did, let's let a few of them, and I, I don't even know what they've planned, commission us for real in the authority of Jesus and with the presence of Jesus into what God has for Nava as a church, yeah? So this is Ken Yonke to start us off. Just uh, stand, would you? Do you mind for a moment? Yeah, let's stand up. Let's stretch forth our hands. If you want to, lay hands on, on your family that's gathered with you. Husbands, wives, let's lay hands on one another and let's believe for a release. You know, the prayer that's prayed today is a prayer that comes with the anointing of the Holy Spirit that we can expect something to be deposited in us and a change to take place, that we leave this place different than we came. Amen? So, Father, we come before you and we thank you for every promise in your word. In John 14, you said, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will be, well, they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified. Father, in the name of Jesus, I commission every follower, every believer in the name of Jesus to go forth with the authority that you have given them to do exceedingly abundantly more than they could imagine. And so right now, I want to ask you, Father, as we commission them, that their imagination would be unlocked, that we would move and shift in our spirit from being dreamers to be doers of the works of God in the name of Jesus. Father, for Nava and for the city of Kansas City, we announce a season of chains of oppression being broken and spiritual inheritance to be restored in the lives, in the homes, and in every sphere of society. Father, we declare in the name of Jesus that this will be a city and a region where Jesus Christ is acknowledged as Lord and we see an end to selfish agendas Father, we declare this will be a city and a region where crime is reduced and we see an end to violence and bloodshed. We declare freedom from every form of injustice. Young and old will walk the streets in safety. Father, we declare this will be a city where we declare that the city will become a place of development, employment, and industry. A city that will attract international investment and businesses that will operate with integrity. And as these, your sons and daughters, go forth to declare positions of authority, that they will be people of integrity. We declare, Lord, this will be a city, a shelter where the orphan and the lonely are placed in family. This region will be known as a great place to grow up and a great place to grow old. Father, we declare this will be a city and a region that honors its history, respects its environment, leaves a legacy for generations to come. This will be a city and a region known for faithfulness, truth, and justice in the name of Jesus. We declare, Father, as Nava, that this will be a city where we proclaim creative solutions that are found for the city's challenges. And we proclaim health, healing, peace and prosperity, freedom and creativity. And lastly, Lord, this will be a city and a region where Christ is honored 
and many people will turn to God where everyone has the opportunity to learn and grow to become all that God has created them to be. Father, we declare and commission your saints, the people of God, the people of Nava, to go forth and accomplish your will in Jesus' name in the city to your glory. Hallelujah. Hope is rising. There is a new hope rising in this room. There is a new hope rising inside of people that are not yet in this room, but the Lord is going to draw them. Not everybody that is called to be in this room is in this room yet. Not everybody that is called to be on this leadership team is on this leadership team yet. Not everybody who is called to be on this oversight team is not here yet. Not everybody that's called to be an elder in this house is not here yet. There's more people coming that are called into this room so welcome them. Welcome the differences. Learn from those who are different, who think different, who see differently. This house is not what it's supposed to be yet, but hope is rising. Where there is despair, there is hope that is rising. And I heard the Lord say, this will be a wholehearted house. A wholehearted house, a wholehearted house. So on this year of learning to follow Jesus all over again, which is desperately needed, it is desperately needed that we wipe the slate clean and start over again. How do we follow this Jesus? So I'm commissioning you to do it wholeheartedly. Don't just do it with your head. Too many of us have learned how to do things with our head and leave our hearts in the dust. Too many of us have learned how to do, how to show up physically, but somehow still leave our bodies behind. Too many of us have learned how to try to do things in the spirit and leave our emotions behind. Bring your whole selves into this whole journey. Let your whole self take every step. Your triggered self, your vulnerable self, your broken self, your confused self, your disheartened self, your hopeful self, your faithful self, your doubtful self. All of it is to take this whole road with you. Take your whole self. Your questions need to be asked. Your questions are prophetic sometimes. So Lord, I want to ask that you rise up the prophetic level in this house. There are prophets in this room that have yet to discover what you've called them to. Let the voice of God be released in a brand new way. Holy Spirit, will you sweep through this community? Will you sweep through this family in new ways? We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you, Holy Spirit. Let the prophets come forth from the edges, from the quiet places. Let the prophets and artists come forth in new ways. Let the artists be free to express their prophetic inclinations without worrying about what people will think. Teach us how to receive the artists, the prophetic artists that are called in this room. Let them come forth. Let them come forth in Jesus' name. Just put your hand on your heart. As we pray, Lord, with his invitation, Adam preached on, would you restore to us, as David asked, restore to us the joy of thy salvation, the laughter of thy salvation, the mirth of thy salvation, and sustain within us joyful, willing spirits, Heavenly Father. Thank you for your joy, Heavenly Father, of the gift of salvation, and then the gift to give it to others, Heavenly Father. What a wonderful, joyful experience you've given to us, Heavenly Father God. For in your presence is fullness of joy. And we pray the words Paul wrote to the Colossians. May you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, 
strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For the attaining, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. It takes his power to be patient and to remain steadfast. And you will see the manifestation of that power in this house. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. <laughs> who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Amen? Amen. Let's take hands and pray the Lord's Prayer. We went over, but it's worth it. Happy New Year. We pray this every time because we mean it. <laughs> We have a father who's bringing his kingdom in our lives and to our world, and it's so beautiful, right? So let's pray this, joining hands as one family in Jesus Christ. Our father. Our father. 